This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freaking Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. One day's exposure to mountains 
is better than a cartload of books, so said John Muir. The year is 1928, and famed American photographer Ansel Adams finds himself with Sierra Club members on a trip to the Canadian Rockies. After having left the rope, a privilege, or risk, only extended to photographers, Adams sensed danger as he tried to return to safety. With no ice axe in his possession, he used his tripod to try the ice in front of him. Suddenly, an enormous piece of ice fell into a previously hidden cavern below. A few more steps, and the story of Ansel Adams may have had a very different ending. This bonus episode, though, is not about Ansel Adams. I'm saving his story for a little later this year. No, this episode is about the high trips of the Sierra Club. The scene I just described was Ansel Adams' second high trip, in which he was asked by William Colby to be the official photographer for the trip with all of his expenses paid. This was quite an honor because Colby wasn't just anyone. He was the main organizer of these high trips and had been since the club's first excursion to Tuolumne Meadows in 1901. But let's back up a little bit. What exactly is a high trip? How did they originate? And what was their purpose? That is what we will spend our time on today. I'm Doc, and you're listening to the John Freakin' Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Alright, this is going to be a fun episode, and I hope it captures your imagination like it did mine. First of all, I want to acknowledge that much of this material comes straight from the Sierra Club's website. And I want to give them credit and encourage you to take a spin through that site. There is a ton of great information and history to be found there. So, I had originally intended to keep progressing through our trail analysis with Chopper this week. But I'm going to take a slight detour, as all good thru-hikers do. We'll keep up with the trail analysis with Chopper and maybe some others. But this is a bonus episode. As I do research for various episodes of the pod, I keep running into the same names and time periods. And so when I did a little digging on a completely different concept for this episode, I discovered the high trip. And it is an incredible story that I felt I had to share with you in a bonus episode this week. As I said, let's back up. I'm going to take us back to 1870 to what I think might be the first seed of this concept. It all starts, appropriately, with John Muir, the father of it all. Though he was a proponent of being alone out in nature, Muir also recognized the value of communing with others in nature as well. It was the summer of 1870 when Muir joined some of the freshman class from the University of California on an extended trip out into the wild. Also accompanying them on the excursion was Professor Joseph LeConte Sr. And now I'm quoting directly from the Sierra Club website. One August evening, sitting in the moonlight above Tanea Lake in what is now Yosemite National Park, LeConte and Muir were struck silent by the wonder of the place. As LeConte remembered, the stillness of the evening, the shadows of the mountains, the glittering of the ruffled water, all these seemed exquisitely harmonized with one another, and the grand harmony made answering music in our hearts. It was a moment and a place that LeConte would not forget. It was this first large group expedition out into the wild that may have been the start of it all. Fast forward to 1890, when Congress established Yosemite as a national park 
after Muir had campaigned to make that happen. Muir soon realized that there would need to be an organization created to protect Yosemite and its natural grandeur. A number of professors at the University of California, including LeConte, wanted to promote the Sierras as a recreational location. Among their number was one J. Henry Sanger, whose name you might be familiar with, as he is the namesake for the creek flowing south of Sally Keys Lake on the JMT. Sanger helped to draw up the Articles of Incorporation, and two years later, on May 28, 1892, the Sierra Club was created, and Muir was installed as its president, a role he would serve in until 1914. He would be succeeded in that role by the son of his hiking partner from 1870, Joseph LeConte Jr. There were 182 charter members in the Sierra Club, with many of them coming from the academic world. Their scientific background can be seen in the naming of some of the features around the John Muir Trail, including Evolution Valley and the peaks around it named for evolutionary scientists. The Sierra Club's purpose at that time were threefold to explore, enjoy, and render accessible the mountain regions of the Pacific Coast, to publish authentic information concerning them, and to enlist the support and cooperation of the people in government in preserving the forests and other natural features of the Sierra Nevada. The club's early events revolved around publications like its Sierra Club Bulletin, lectures, and discussions. But Muir soon realized that having people experience the Sierras remotely through the printed and spoken word was not enough to maximize the Sierra Club's conservation efforts. Muir posited that if people in general could be got into the woods, even for once, to hear the trees speak for themselves, all difficulties in the way of forest preservation would vanish. And so, the concept of an annual outing, aptly named a high trip, sprung to life. In 1901, the Sierra Club organized its first summer outing to get members and others to experience the beauty of nature firsthand to garner support for their conservation efforts. William Colby, the Sierra Club's secretary, took on the role of annual high trip organizer for the first 29 years. You may remember an earlier reference to Colby last episode when I mentioned that Ray Lakes are named after his wife, Rachel Vrooman. An excursion of this sort, Colby said, if properly conducted, will do an infinite amount of good toward awakening the proper kind of interest in the forests and other natural features of our mountains, and will also tend to create a spirit of good fellowship among our members. Well, this first trip in 1901 was organized around several concepts Colby considered important. The high trip could not be too strenuous, because he had people in the group who were novices and not mountaineers. The high trip could not be too expensive, because the club wanted to attract lots of participants to raise awareness. And the high trip should be educational, with a strong suggestion that participating campers read Muir's The Mountains of California and LeConte's Ramblings Through the High Sierra prior to undertaking the trip. Colby chose Tuolumne Meadows for that first high trip in 1901, and the 96 participants camped in the same general location and had meals prepared for them by camp cooks during that four-week outing. During those four weeks, the daylight hours were consumed with hiking and climbing as the Sierra novices explored the beautiful landscape with a sense of wonder. In fact, 49 Sierra Club members completed a 20-mile hike and summited Mount Dana in one day. 20 others climbed the highest point in Yosemite, Mount Lyle, which tops out at 13,000 120 feet. Additionally, several academics would lecture on a variety of topics to educate the campers about what they were experiencing, including talks on geomorphology, 
forestry, biology, and the history of the area. It was like a college term out in the Sierras. And the evenings? Well, the evenings were for the arts. On various high trips throughout the years, campers shared poems and performed in musicals created just for the occasion of the high trip. Though the high trips usually took place in the Sierras, they were never in the same place in consecutive years and sometimes ventured far afield, including a number of trips to locales such as Glacier National Park in Montana, Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming, and the Canadian Rockies, as I mentioned in the opening tale involving Ansel Adams out on the ice. The impact of the high trip and the Sierra Club's accomplishments continued to grow throughout the years. More and more people participated in the annual high trip, awareness of their conservation effort grew, and more people were accessing the beautiful Sierras. When John Muir died on Christmas Eve of 1914, the club undertook the effort to create a trail from Yosemite to Mount Whitney in his name, and it was through their efforts that the John Muir Trail was completed in 1938. The high trips also promoted advancements in a number of other areas. Remember that story of Robert L. M. Underhill of Harvard coming to teach Sierra Club members about the latest in mountaineering rope techniques from episode 10? That was during a high trip. From that point, there was a shift to the more technical side of mountain, mountain and rock climbing. Sierra Club members began climbing routes and faces that were previously labeled as unclimbable. In fact, in 1934, the Sierra Club's Committee on Mountain Records developed the Sierra Club Decimal Rating System, which continues to be the American standard for determining difficulty of rock climbs. Similarly, there was an interest in skiing by club members, and with so many sections of the Sierras opening up to the world, the club began to build ski lodges and use them as jumping off points for tours. Eventually though, the high trips had to change and adapt to the needs of a changing society. The high trips of old, with four-week excursions with hundreds of people out into the Sierras and beyond, transformed into something else. With so many people getting out and enjoying the Sierras on their own, the club worried about the overuse and the impact of the large high trip group on the natural resources as well as other campers. Richard Leonard became the chair of the outing committee in 1936, and the club's trips transitioned to smaller, more specialized outings. There were burrow trips, which involved, you guessed it, travel through the mountains by burrow, and knapsack trips, where individuals carried everything they needed on their backs, and base camp trips, where participants camped in a central location and explored the nearby vicinity. In 1951, with the Sierras now accessible to many more people, the Sierra Club revised its statement of purpose from explore, enjoy, and render accessible to explore, enjoy, and preserve the Sierra Nevada, and other scenic resources of the United States, thereby solidifying and widening the club's commitment to the conservation of these natural resources to a national scale. Today, the Sierra Club has chapters throughout the country, and a quick Google search reveals that the Los Angeles chapter has no fewer than 522 outings available for people to sign up for with varying locations, duration, and difficulty levels. It's amazing to me how so many of us, myself included, participate in activities like hiking the John Muir Trail with very little awareness of how the trail came to be or just everything that happened leading up to our ability to enjoy this opportunity. We are truly standing on the shoulders of giants, legends who had a vision and worked tirelessly to make that vision a reality. The next time you're out there on the trail, think of Muir, 
LeConte, Sanger, Colby, and so many others that took those first steps for us. And think of the annual high trip and imagine what that must have been like. Amazing. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the high trips and I hope it struck a chord in your imagination. That's it for this episode, but Chopper and I and maybe some others will be back to take you through another section of the JMT next Saturday. Thank you for tuning in, and always remember, the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill. Doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. 